Welcome back to the Bear Market Brief Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and thank you as always for joining. Today we're going out there, and I mean way out there, to Khabarovsk Krai. For a sense of just how far away Khabarovsk is, you can find it on a map by going to Osaka, Japan, and then heading north. Most American Russian specialists haven't been there, let alone most Americans, let alone most Russians. Simply put, Moscow's gravity just isn't as strong out there. Khabarovsk has seen mass protest over the detention of regional governor Sergei Furgal on curiously timed murder charges. Yes, you heard that right. Joining us to discuss regional political dynamics is Kirill Shamiev. Kirill is a PhD candidate at Central European University, where he's working on Russian civil-military relations. He's also a junior research fellow at the Center for Comparative Governance Studies at the Higher School of Economics. And perhaps most importantly, he has lived in Khabarovsk for years. He was able to offer some really granular insights about what's going on there. We hope you enjoy. Kirill, so good to have you today. Thanks for having me. So, we are here today to talk about the situation in Khabarovsk, which is a region with an interesting recent history, and I'm sure uh, an interesting history before that, which you can share more about. Um, as a native of the region, wanted to ask you quickly for context uh, for, for listeners, if you could tell us a little bit more about the region, its post-Soviet history, uh, what other Russians make of it. Uh, give, bring us up to speed here, if you could. Yeah, so, but to be honest, I'm not really like a native from there. I was born in the Sakhalin region, like, but it's a neighboring one. But yeah, I spent nine years there in Habarovsk myself. And yeah, so I guess before actually uh, talking about this politics and what's happening right now, it's important to know uh, how people feel, people who live there actually feel themselves as um, residents of uh, Habarovsk Rai, Habarovsk region. So basically, maybe I can start with a little bit of um, late Soviet history. It was really like one of the industrial centers of the Far East. And people, uh, the Soviet people, um, were coming to the Far East because first there was like so-called um, the Far Eastern coefficient to their salaries. So they, can, they could really uh, get some money working there. And also it was sort of like this, there was a Soviet logic of industrializing and developing the uh, outskirts of the Soviet Union, right, the far east of the Soviet Union. But then when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, obviously the, uh, uh, its fall hit the region really hard. And not only the Habarovsk cry, but other far eastern regions as well. So, and uh, actually in late, in the late 80s, um, the former governor of Habarovsk Krai, uh, Viktor Shaev, uh, he came to power. I guess uh, he was he was the deputy. Um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he was the first deputy chairman of the executive committee of the Habarovsk Regional Council of People's Deputies. So he was pretty much like uh, the uh, vice uh, governor of uh, the region. So and this is how he became in the post-Soviet times the governor of the region, and he had been in power till uh, 2009. But, you know, people who follow Russian history, they, uh, they should know that actually in the 90s, there was like this so-called period of wild capitalism, mafia, poor uh, state capacity, the state structures literally was dysfunctional. So, and Viktor Shaev was one of that 
um, strongman who controlled the region. Obviously, he had some ties with the local elites, both legal and illegal. Uh, he had some connections with the uh, like uh, factories, uh, important economic centers. Therefore, he managed to keep uh, the living standards there more or less uh, livable, if I can say that. Right, but after the um, the unification of power, when Vladimir Putin came to power, power obviously, this kind of um, skills became uh, not enough for a person to lead the Russian region. So, and he uh, he left uh, the office in two thousand nine when the uh, sport, uh, Vyacheslav Sport, became the governor. So. Yeah, at the same time, Viktor Ishaev uh, was a member of so-called tandem in the region, was the mayor of Khabarovsk, Alexander Sokolov, also uh, a late Soviet uh, bureaucrat. Then he worked in the 90s in the local but leading oil petroleum distributor. So, and then he became a mayor of Khabarovsk, I guess it was in 2000. And he had been a mayor till 2018. So these two men sort of controlled the region and we're, I mean, people may argue now, but more or less respected uh, in the region. So, but when Ishaev left the office and Vyacheslav Spor came, it suddenly uh, changed uh, the relations of the state with the local, both uh, economic elites and uh, the people who live there. And uh, what we see now that actually Vyacheslav Spor didn't really become a famous politician. He wasn't really respected uh, in the region that is actually just that, that just has, uh, I guess, one million and uh, three hundred thousand people. So it's more or less like the population of Estonia, but its territory is uh, so the territory of Habarovsky Krai can accommodate the UK, uh, Belgium, Belarus, and Italy. So it's really a huge region. I guess it is the third in Russia. Uh, so. And in this sort of um, region with uh, just one million people living there, uh, an unpopular politician is known by everyone and it's, its unpopularity is so quickly spread, uh, can, can spread very quickly. Yeah. So I have a question actually, if I may, if I may interject for a, sure. a second. So there are, are certainly, turning to, I guess, the, the current situation and, and the protest vote, which we'll get to, um, there are, are lots of unpopular politicians in Russia, or at least uh, politicians to whom the populace is, is generally apathetic. So what did Sport do or, or not do to kind of win the antipathy of people in the region? Was it an economic problem? Uh, what, what caused the, the displeasure that we're seeing manifested today? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. But I guess, again, I would like to start with some background. Uh, I guess it's also important to keep in mind that Habarovsk region is located uh, 6,000 kilometers away from Moscow. It takes like approximately eight hours by plane to get there. Uh, just to compare, for example, this is the flight from Berlin to New York. So it's pretty far away. And if, uh, for example, a family decides to leave the, usually the far east, they just move to Krasnodar or St. Petersburg, it's just uh, the ultimate decision. They never come back, right? So there is this, like, I guess, a little bit different social structure. Uh, people who live there, there in the Habarovsky Krai, they, uh, they, like, really live there. They either don't want to leave it 
or just don't have, I don't know, financial resources to do this. So they have uh, higher, uh, like genuinely higher demands to their, for their local government to keep their living standards better. But talking about Vyacheslav Sport, so, I mean, we can talk, we can speculate a lot about his personal qualities, but just a couple of facts. So uh, he came to power in 2009, right after the financial crisis, right? And uh, Habarovsky Krai back then, even in 2009, was, uh, was performing lower than the Far Eastern Federal District on average in terms of uh, its growth of the gross regional capital. Uh, also, Sport was from the United Russia Party and obviously all federal, um, federal politics uh, sort of affected his um, popularity in the region. And at the same time, there were a couple of facts with actually the mayor of Khabarovsk, uh, Alexander Sokolov, that just brought uh, hardcore evidence that Sport and Sokolov were somehow involved in corruption. Just for example, when uh, Furgal came to power, he decreased his salary and people just realized that actually Sport was uh, getting approximately 20,000 US dollars a month in the region, uh, in the far east of Russia, 20,000 US dollars a month, it's a lot. It's not a lot, like it's incredibly a lot. So wow. you can buy, I, I don't know, whatever. Pretty generous salary to say the least. One That's thing I wanted to, yeah. to, to press you on or, or ask further about, so you talked about um, sports association with, with federal politics. And you mentioned you mentioned what the the Khabarovsk being six thousand kilometers from from Moscow. It kind of feels almost like I guess the closest equivalent here in the states would be Alaska in terms of just being gigantic um, and far removed. Um, I know in Alaska they talk about the lower 40, forty-eight, just the, the rest of the country. To what extent does Moscow influence daily life? that far away? Does it influence daily life? It really sounds like there's kind of a unique regional regional character where local politics may even be more important than federal politics. Well, yeah, this, this is also a tricky question. I guess, well, let me start maybe the, with uh, the background of the Russian federalism. So Russia, as I guess a lot of people know, is a highly centralized country. So it's like, uh, it's called like the Russian Federation, but it's in fact, it's a highly centralized state. Uh, uh, centralized in which way? In terms of uh, financial resources and political power. So back in 2004, the governor election has been cancelled. Uh, and uh, also the um, financial resources, uh, regional and local taxes, some of them were centralized to Moscow. So and Moscow started playing uh, somewhere in, the, uh, in, in 2004 and 2005 much stronger role in the in all regions, uh, including uh, Habarovsky Krai. At the same time, Sport and his team and Sokolov was part of the United Russia, the Federal Power, the power Party, the Federal Power Party. And uh, in this, in, in Habarovsk region, there's also a city called Komsomolsk Onamur. There is um, a very important uh, aircraft factory. Uh, we call it Knaapa. Uh, so basically, it it produces uh, Suhoi aircrafts, like military aircrafts. Uh, and uh, it's uh, rich with fi uh, um, natural resources, gold reserves and um, wood. So, and these are um, economic sectors. At the same time, when the region is so far, it's located so far away from Moscow, 
it creates both logistical problems with controlling like this uh, centralized uh, sectors and at the same time ideological. So we we are so far away from you, but you and you don't really know how to how we live here, how how to control, how to live actually in a region with a very harsh climate and bordering China. So and therefore it creates this like grievances, in, not only in Habarovsky Krai, but in the Far East in general. So with these grievances, I think this is the perfect segue to talk about the current situation, um, both the protests now, but yet more background, the, the protest vote. So first, let's talk about what happens in gubernatorial elections, because um, this does not happen in Russia a lot, where an incumbent gets unseated. So can you walk us through what happened in that process? So yeah, uh, in 2018, uh, sport uh, lost elections and Frugal came to power uh, in the second vote, actually, it was almost a landslide. I guess it was maybe around 70% of votes. And it was a big surprise, both uh, in the region and actually uh, in Moscow. Um, and there were also a couple of problems for the United Russia in Primorsky Krai, where Vladivostok is, and in some other areas of the Far East. So it was like sort of first signal that something went wrong in 2018. And like... Uh, if we look back in 2018, Furgal was just a member of LDPR, um, but also he had been the member of State Duma, the Russian parliament, from Komsomolsk-Konamur. So he was quite well known in the region. Not as well known, for example, as the governor, but obviously some people knew him. He was also born in the neighboring region, Amursk uh, region. And so he was kind of an ideal uh, opposition candidate in that part of Russia. Um, but actually, I guess what is also even more important that in a year from 2018 to 2019, uh, the United Russia lost uh, quite a number of towns, villages uh, in the region. Uh, so next year in 2019, uh, the United, uh, United Russia lost uh, the city Duma of Khabarovsk. I guess they now have, have two seats, if I'm not mistaken, out of 30-ish. Uh, also Komsomolsk-Anamur, uh, and city councils in Amursk and Sovetskaya Gava, and so like in a couple of local towns as well. So it was like um, quite a significant and unprecedented result in the whole like region that the United Russia just literally lost. Yeah, and Furgal started uh, implementing some what usually people call populist, but I, to be honest, don't really believe it's populist. It's just basic uh, decisions to that people really wanted. For example, he first, as I told you, right, he decreased his salary from 20,000 US dollars to just 5,000 US dollars, still quite high, but much better than it was before. He also um, equalized uh, school meals, uh, like meals in schools. So before him, there were like free lunch kids and uh, paid lunch kids, right? And free lunch families got worse food than their like uh, more prosperous uh, parents. So it was like a very sensitive issue uh, he, and he just equalized. So uh, he started to pay for uh, families for, uh, uh, so it was like kids with free lunches to, to make them as good as uh, ordinary like other uh, kids in schools uh, get. So, and he also focused on some basic infrastructural projects like, I don't know, boiler stations, uh, local airports, medical infrastructure. And he multiplied his effects of policy making with the very, very active information campaigns. He was super open. Uh, he um, 
he had his uh, Instagram page, for example, where he uh, quarterly, like uh, once in three year, in three months, he uh, organized online uh, meetings with his uh, constituency. He included people from uh, all over the region to talk to him, to share their concerns. And also, obviously, his team, his PR, his PR team and uh, press secretary uh, did a great job to spread uh, news uh, about their governor in the region. So I guess this is like this combination of very basic policies and regulations that he made that people really wanted and started feeling their effects quite fast. And also his quite effective uh, PR campaign contributed in uh, his very, very high popularity. And there was a video leaked uh, of his um, of his conversation with the uh, Putin's envoy in the Far Eastern Federal uh, District, where actually uh, the envoy was uh, complaining that his rating was higher than uh, the Putin's one. And this is also quite unprecedented because no one in Russia should be more popular than Vladimir Putin. So, and obviously that like spread uh, concerns about his future back even in 2018, beginning of 2019. So. As far as I've read, the, the initial vote against Sport was, if, if anything, and based also on you know, what I've read as far as locals saying, more of a protest vote than about Furgal himself. But it sounds like he really had his finger on the local pulse and was able to, if not build popularity, really connect with the local population. Is that fair to say? Oh, yes, absolutely. And you're absolutely right that he got elected not as... Uh, as a governor, right, as a future governor. He got elected as a person who opposed the United Russia and the, uh, I would say, quite an inadequate uh, federal policies in the region. And uh, yeah, but he became quite popular in like quite short time. So this is, I guess, really, really particularly interesting because a lot of the time you see the dynamic in Russia with Putin and the governors, the, at least we call it the good czar, bad boyers. This almost seems like the exact opposite of that, where it's a, a competent, in-touch regional leader uh, playing against out-of-touch federal elites, which is really quite fascinating. But speaking of federal elites, um, there began to be a pushback, as we saw, well, with the, the murder charges against him, for one. But also, um, I know in recent years, the, the capital of the far eastern federal district was moved away from Khabarovsk. Uh, what caused that? Uh, yeah, it was actually moved away in 2018 when Fulgal, uh, like right after uh, Fulgal came to power. I mean, we cannot prove a causal link here, but with like obviously a correlation, Fulgal uh, was elected. And I guess in two months, uh, the capital was moved, moved to Vladivostok. And it really hit uh, Habarovsky cry, like people who live there hard. Both maybe more ideologically than economically, but I guess both had uh, its impact. Because uh, Vladivostok is uh, naturally much more economically developed uh, city, and it's Primorsky Krai, its region, because again, sea uh, borders, the Pacific fleet, and uh, better climate. But uh, Habarovsk region and Habarovsky Krai, uh, and the city of Habarovsk, uh, so before the capital was moved, was considered as a sort of an administrative capital. So. Uh, you do state business in Habarovsk, but you do economic business in Vladivostok. And, uh, and there was also this regional maybe competition, you know, what is better, Habarovsk or Vladivostok? 
And in 2018, by Putin's decision, it was just, you know, overrun. And Habarsk, the people who live in Habarsk Krai just felt, you know, lost and uh, uh, disenfranchised in this regard. And obviously, they felt as, uh, as uh, residents who were punished for not supporting uh, the member of the United Russia. And it doesn't sound like they were the only ones punished because uh, just this summer, all of a sudden, uh, Furgal was charged with uh, complicity in murder dating back, what, to the late 90s, early 2000s. Tell us more about the charges. It, it seems almost curious um, whether it's even plausible he was involved. Uh, and if he was, why bring it up now? Why not? Why, why wait? Yeah, so this is a very um, uh, complicated story. So Furgal was a businessman back in uh, 19, uh, 1999, I guess, to, to 2006-ish, before he became the member of the parliament. So he was trading timber and black metal uh, in the region, in Habarsk region. So back, in, back then, he became actually quite um, rich uh, as a person. And um, in that period of time, uh, in the Far East, that economic sector was, I would say, genuinely very, um, how can I put it diplomatically here, maybe, uh, criminalized. So because, again, due to the institutionalization of uh, state structure, uh, it was first Putin's term, just uh, the government started uh, regaining their control over the economic sectors. So, and uh, the uh, official investigation wants to prove that uh, he was responsible for organizing uh, murder of his business um, partners in 2005 and 4. And, uh, but the depositions uh, came uh, from his uh, fellow business partner also back in the days. Uh, he, I guess his name is Nikolai Mistrikov. And this is where quite um, gray story starts. First, Nikolai Mistrikov was arrested in uh, 2019, in October, uh, in charge with the same uh, offenses, uh, like organizing uh, murders. But uh, when he was detained, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he, he got blind in one eye. And according to his own terms, uh, his own words, sorry, uh, he uh, the diagnosis procedures were conducted by students and, and without Anastasia. So, and all this like, um, and also it's important to uh, point here that uh, the investigators committee refused to, um, um, to refused to make the case public. So, and the way how Furgal was arrested and how this investigation was carried out raised us some suspicion. And yeah, and also important to point out here that uh, Furgal was the way how the governor was uh, arrested also uh, was considered as some kind of punishment uh, uh, by the central power, by Moscow uh, uh, of the region. So in July, I guess at the 10th of July, uh, Furgal was going uh, to his office, but his car, his like routine car was stopped by Moscow uh, Special Operations Unit. He was in a suit, he was arrested, charged, and like uh, brought to Moscow. 
so when the residents were just, you know, in the morning going to their work, schools and so on, they realized that actually their governor was arrested by some people unidentified who came from Moscow and who uh, took their governor back with them. So again, uh, ideologically, it was considered as maybe even a kidnapping by some people who no one knows in, in the region, but uh, who like uh, worked uh, on the case uh, of alleged murder of businessmen in 2004 and 2005. So I guess a question, and this is revealing, I hope this is not a bias. It seems like, just to be clear, he, he may have actually been involved in criminal activity. The question is whether that has anything to do with why he was arrested over it, what, 15 years later now? That's what seems particularly suspicious here. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is very hard to talk about it because obviously killing someone is bad and <laughs> Russians also believe it's bad. But uh, how can I put it? So, so let me maybe give you an example. If you go, let's say, on the streets of every city in Russia and you ask an ordinary person, let's say a woman of 50 years old, about what they think about uh, their politicians and bureaucrats, uh, especially like in, on the federal level somewhere uh, in high positions. And the average person would tell you that obviously all of them were criminals in the 90s and they just got co-opted in the state structures. So a lot of people just believe that all this member of parliament, uh, people in the presidential administration, maybe even Putin himself, were somehow involved in illegal or even like openly criminal uh, activities back in the 90s, because this is how Russia, how messy Russia was uh, in that period of time. And so, and when you arrest a very, very popular governor who implemented some basic but highly needed policies with charges that sort of everyone believes that most politicians uh, have in Russia, like all this like, uh, uh, offenses they could commit actually too. Uh, the this uh, ideological effect, this effect on how people perceive this crime, uh, I guess just gets smaller and weaker. So and people just don't react on it as you know maybe as I would say a governor somewhere in the UK perhaps could commit like a crime like this. So turning to what's happening now, we've had huge protests by the region. I mean, whole percentage points of the regional population, the uh, residents of Khabarovsk turning out multiple weekends in a row. Um, we have a new LDPR governor who is uh, putting it diplomatically like you did, um, an interesting person, let's say. Um, let's talk about what people on the streets think of what's happened, um, what has happened with the new governor and weirdly, why, you know, protests in Russia are frequently suppressed, oftentimes fairly violently, why this has been allowed to continue. Uh, what's happening today? What does it mean for federalism in Russia? Is this a, a threat to the system or is this more a, a regional, regional dynamic? But starting with the protests and uh, the new governor, Dikteryov, what, what's the story there? So, yeah. To put this long story short, I would call it like that the Kremlin uh, made a failure after a failure. So uh, in Khabarovsk, in the region, 
protest started immediately after Furgao was arrested. I guess even in in that day when he was arrested in uh, on the 10th of July, uh, and they uh, have been continuing uh, like since since the 10th of July. Um, first, um, what people were speaking there, it was just maybe it was quite a multifaceted protest. Some were protesting for Furgal to get him back, uh, not to release him from, you know, from uh, detention, just to uh, bring uh, him back and to, to bring the court in the region and to sort of, uh, um, you know, um, yeah, like, how can I put it? Initially, the protest was quite multifaceted. So some people protested pro uh, Fugal for him. He, they just wanted to bring him back. And obviously not to can cancel his charges, but just to try him in the region. Then some were just, just had a pro, very like strong uh, regional identity, and they wanted to express their anger towards uh, Moscow's decisions. And some were obviously like anti-Putin, like as you may see protests somewhere in Moscow or St. Petersburg. But when Dekterov uh, was appointed just a few days ago, uh, this, I believe, changed how the residents um, started uh, feeling about both themselves and their case. Because Dekterov is a very young politician. He was, I would say him, like he's a real like, populist uh, in a way that he, uh, he does everything to stay in uh, federal politics, and uh, he's a fellow member of uh, the party, and he respects Zhirinovsky a lot. He even, like, you know, his speech, his voice is so much similar to Zhirinovsky's. Uh, he, um, he also, he's, uh, he's not from the region, he's from Samara, uh, the, in the western part of Russia. And uh, he refused uh, to go uh, to the protesters and to speak to them. And... Uh, yeah, uh, so and this uh, his appointment was made uh, maybe again as um, quite quite brute punishment by Moscow uh, of the region for their uh, protest activities, right? Uh, he was appointed by Putin, and also I actually spoken to some of my friends there, and they were watching Putin announcing that uh, Dekterov would become a, a governor of Habarovsky Krai. And they, would, they were like, oh, look at his, how, he, how, he, how was he smile, how, how Putin was smiling when he was saying like that Dekterov would become a governor. He, he did not respect us at all. Like this is how they described, um, they are surprised maybe that Vladimir Putin uh, made that decision. So, and what we see now, especially today, there was a huge protest, maybe around 50,000 people on the streets, that more and more anti-Putin uh, uh, slogans and banners were on the streets. And people actually started, yeah, uh, federalizing their demands and going against uh, the federal government, uh, unfair elections, and obviously the executive. I saw you posted a, um, from the social media out there, someone, I think, sums it up nicely, says, said along the lines of Moscow is spitting in our face. Uh, fair to say that's the, the, the feeling right now? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, going back to your question about the uh, uh, local law enforcement there. So why don't they just, you know, repress and uh, suppress uh, uh, protests? First, because you just can't easily suppress uh, 50,000 people 
in a city of 600,000 people. Uh, also, there were a couple of other protests in smaller towns in the region, uh, quite unprecedented for them again, because, you know, if you have a town of 20,000 people and you have just 1,500 people on the street, uh, for Russia, it's very um, unprecedented. unprecedented. And uh, secondly, I've heard some rumors, I cannot confirm that, that even uh, local police officers were sort of letting their you know, family members to go to protest for their governor because they also supported Fugal while they were on like, active duty, like, you know, on the streets. So this created this uh, clear, uh, this clash of their uh, maybe duty and their personal um, beliefs and like political, uh, political positions. And yeah, and I also believe that Moscow just has someone who uh, fortunately uh, tells uh, local decision makers not to use uh, force because people are really angry. Uh, a lot of them are on the streets and using force now, I don't know, it, I guess no one really knows what it can bring. Uh, I, I hope they have in mind uh, the uh, Ukraine's experience in 2013 when they suppressed uh, uh, protests in Kiev and it was like quite on small scale uh, and then it just uh, recreated itself in a huge Maidan that um, just uh, ultimately uh, overthrew the, uh, the government. So, so yeah. final question, does this tell us anything about federalism in Russia? Is this just a regional problem, or is this indicative of maybe the underlying feelings elsewhere? Uh, how much can we learn about Russia as a whole based on what's happening in Khabarovsk? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it, is, uh, it is a problem about uh, the Russian federalism. So first thing first, I would say that uh, if Russia was more decentralized, we wouldn't have Furgal in the first place. So uh, the local, the regional politicians uh, would have more uh, power to do their jobs better. Uh, secondly, if uh, after his arrest, uh, not Putin, Putin was uh, to appoint a new governor, but say either someone from the uh, regional Duma or uh, a new elections uh, would just come, you know, come up in uh, September. That will also change how protest, protesters, how people who live in the, in the region uh, would have thought about their like cause, their protest. And uh, thirdly, obviously, it is about um, financial resources that uh, the federal central controls. Again, uh, when, you, when people understand that actually the governors should have very positive relations with Putin and with the presidential administration to keep some basic policies in place, that shifts uh, quite um, quite some part of responsibility from the governor to Moscow. So, and here we have a highly centralized system that actually Putin was uh, Putin hoped to uh, establish that shows its weakness. When we have a uh, like a problem in the region especially during the pandemic and uh, after his, uh, its first uh, um, effects started to uh, like impact uh, uh, the region, um, we see that uh, local residents pro start to protest, 
to protest not only for their governor or some local issues, but so when we have a highly centralized federal system uh, that actually Putin wanted to establish in the first place, and at the same time, uh, first pandemic effects and uh, um, and the political problem uh, related to the arrest of the, uh, the regional governor, some responsibility is naturally shifting from uh, the regional politics to the federal one. And, and it multiplies its importance uh, to the Kremlin. So yeah, the federal system that exists now in Russia obviously has um, um, perhaps uh, unexpected uh, consequences uh, that we see right now. And to quote, to quote Spider-Man here, with, with great power for Putin comes great, evidently personal responsibility, it seems. Kirill, thank you so much for joining us. This was really enlightening, and I hope the listeners uh, will have learned something about Khabarovsk today. Thank you. Thanks to Kirill for joining, and to you too. Stay tuned for next episode, because we have another crisis in Russia's neighborhood to discuss. BMB is a project of the Foreign Policy Research Institute, a nonpartisan think tank in Philadelphia. For more information about this and other initiatives, be sure to visit fpri.org. And be sure to follow BMB Russia and Ukraine at the Twitter handle at Bear Market Brief. Catch you next time.